ton of people who are like Guilt alumni uh, yeah. in New York because they hired some amazing developers uh, in their in their heyday. Um, anyway, so I worked there in Tokyo, and then uh, my girlfriend's startup moved to New York. So uh, and she had she's from Germany, so she had never lived here. Um, so she wanted to just give living in America a shot. So we came, and so uh, ever since then, when I got here, I worked at Uniqlo. Okay, as an employee, I was the first uh, the first in house dev for Uniqlo USA. Uh, and where was everything, was everything done wherever their headquarters are? Uniqlo USA, you mean? So the Uniqlo USA's headquarters are in New York. Okay. Um, so now they're above the Soho Uniqlo, Uniqlo oh, flagship store. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I got here, uh, they were in a building cause Uniqlo, the company that owns Uniqlo owns Theory and Helmut Lang oh, and really? yeah, all these other brands called fast retailing. It's the biggest, it's the biggest clothing retailer in Asia. Like, yeah, yeah. All right, so I didn't know that Uniqlo was. It, it makes sense. sense. Uh, same way that the Gap is, the Gap owns Gap right, Banana Republic, Republic yeah, Navy. It's almost the same. Yeah, kind of yeah. Vibe, but yeah. I didn't. For some reason, I never. It never really clicked with me that uh, what I would consider like a portfolio kind of company right. would own. But that makes sense. yeah. And they almost bought J Crew last year. Yeah. So I mean, really? yeah, totally. For, I mean, I think the price is too high enough since J Crew hasn't done very well, but. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so I worked at Uniqlo in-house, uh, and then I decided I kind of wanted to change. So I decided to actually become a vendor. Uh, and that's when I became uh, responsible for building a mobile site, which is what they, they never had a mobile okay. site. And so, um, by vendor, you mean you went freelance, freelance, but exclusively for sure. Uniqlo. Yep. Um, it was just, you know, uh, if I stayed within that organization at the end of the day, it's a Japanese organization. Um, and so like hiring would have been like annoying and. Yeah, and stuff like right. that. So I felt like I could probably build a better product outside the organization, which yeah. I think was true. Uh, and so we built an M dot, uh, and we launched that, mm, gosh, how long ago now? Um, a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. And so I work with a, a guy named Michael Hart, a uh, dude who is from Australia and lives in the East village. Uh, and the two of us together, uh, built the mobile site. Wow. Okay. Uh, within, we have another developer that we work with in, yeah. in Berlin. Oh, that's really cool. So, yeah. so, um, all right, so I want to back up a bit. You mm. said that you grew up in New York, but in the suburbs. Mm. Where? Which? Which suburbs? I it's, I grew up in. I was born in Jersey, grew up in Florida. So this okay. is a bit of a. Yeah. I am from the northern burbs, so um, Westchester County. Okay. Uh, the town is called Chappaqua, only on the map now because the Clintons live there. Oh. They did not live there when I was there. Uh, Bill and Hillary, or are their kids? Uh, Bill and Hillary. I think Chelsea lives in upstate Rhinebeck area. So, all right. So you grew up in, for the sake of my knowledge, Westchester mm, area. Right. So like an hour north. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you get into Japanese translation? Oh man. So in Westchester, I went to high school, uh, Horace Greeley high school, go Quakers. Uh, <laughs> and really, um, and I studied Spanish because you had okay. your choice was Spanish, French or Latin. Yeah. Or I think we also had Russian. Uh, and I took Spanish because, you know, there's more Spanish speaking people than any of the other ones uh, in the States. Yep. And I sucked. I was so bad at Spanish because I just did not care. Um, you know, I was more into sciences. And so I did a lot of physics, a lot of math and stuff. And that was the, kind of my jam. And so Spanish was really, ugh, I just, you know, I didn't understand. I didn't really care. And so I got a really horrible grade on the AP. And then when I got to college, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is a good time to try a different language. Okay. And so were you interested in languages? Was it like... And I asked that because right. you said you didn't care about Spanish. So to care. me, it seems interesting that you would still be like, you know what? Let me try something. Let me try a different language. I, yeah. I don't know. I just, Spanish just didn't click with me. I think, I mean, 
Spanish is, is tough for, I think, the kind of thinker that I am because there's mm-hmm. so many, it's like, it's like learning English. It's awful. There's so much surface yeah. area. Or there's like conjugations. Conjugations with like, you yeah. know, first, second, third person, singular, yeah. plural. And, and then there's, there's like, like all the verbs, which is right? just totally like, all just that stuff, like which in English is awful also, but yeah. it's your native language. So you don't really yeah. feel the pain. In Spanish, that was just like, ugh, I just couldn't care about that stuff. And so I did very, very poorly. And so when I got to college, I was like, well, I should take a language. Uh, and so I was choosing, uh, you know, I was an econ major, so I mm-hmm. wanted to choose a language that had business potential. And so okay. I was choosing between sense. German, Russian, Chinese, and Japanese. Okay. And I grew up during the bubble era of Japan. So there were a lot of Japanese kids in the school system that I went to. Wait, what is the bubble era? The bubble era, I'm sorry, of Japan is where in the 80s uh, when they had a giant bubble economy and they had like, you know, Japanese that were buying, you know, all these buildings in Rockefeller Center and they were okay. you know, taking over stuff in New York. Uh, and because they had this just giant um, asset bubble and so what that means is, you know, a lot of people from Japan would move to New York and yep. their kids would go to my school. And so I okay. would tutor them. Oh, so wow. in school, I would tutor ESL. And so it yep. just happens a lot of the kids are Japanese. And so that's what steered me kind of towards Japanese when I got to college. That's really cool. And so I took Japanese. It was my minor. I mean, I, I'm not even, we don't have minors when I went to school, but like the way this, the way, the way my school works is they don't believe in requirements. They believe in advising. What school is this? I went to Brown University in oh, Rhode wow. Island. Okay. I didn't know that. So the reason why I say it is because, um, I well, I don't know much about Brown, but mm-hmm. I know of Brown, right? So I didn't know if a school that has a, a somewhat different take on education, right? Yeah, advising sure. versus like your typical it sounds requirements. like yeah, requirement sure. structure. Sure. Uh, if it would be like a larger known school or like uh, like a smaller, you know what I mean, like one of those small like liberal arts colleges. Yeah, like yeah. Brown's five thousand five hundred when I went there. Okay, know, maybe yeah. it's bigger now. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a good size. And so the way, so yeah, the way it works is you get to choose, like when you're going to school, you choose your courses for the first year mm-hmm. and you get to choose basically the way that it works is instead of having all these requirements, you can take whatever you want. And like one of your first year courses, professors becomes your advisor oh, and you get to wow. choose. And I was like, well, political science, history, math, physics. And like my last choice was Japanese. And that's who my advisor was. So I got my last choice, which means that. You know, every week I had to sit in front of this woman who is my Japanese professor and like talk to her for an hour. And of course, you know, <laughs> we speak in Japanese, which I'm awful at because it's my first year. And like, yeah, I was basically motivated by fear. I was motivated by, you know, econ classes at Brown first year. They're like 300 people. You're not good. There's no fear. Yeah. Like, you're, like never gonna, you're never going to yeah, see it. You're never yeah. going to see the professor. Whereas these classes are like 10 people yep. and you have to sit. This almost feels like, you know, it's like your mom kind of. Yep. Uh, and so I was motivated by fear. I studied Japanese much harder than I studied econ. Wow. Um, and I studied for two years and then I studied abroad. Uh, and then I studied abroad for a year in Kyoto. And then after that, it was just this, you know, sunken cost fallacy snowball thing where it was like, I'm not one of these like anime manga, yeah. like white dudes or whatever. I, I was taking Japanese because I thought it would be useful in business. Uh, and so until I could actually use it fluently, it was a sunk cost to me. And so I just kept studying until I could do that. And That's so, fair. yeah. And so I studied abroad and then, uh, and then I had actually went back and studied again. So I studied like uh, in Japan for two solid years. And after that I became a translator. You know, Dave Rupert? Dave Rupert. I mean, I Osaka Dave. I don't know Dave, but he's got oh, a, yeah. he's got a similar story, doesn't he? he yeah, yeah, yeah. He lived in Osaka for a few years. Uh, he's he's amazing, that guy. He lived in Osaka Hilarious. for a few years, and he it's funny because he speaks a very Osaka dialect of Japanese. It's basically like a southern accent. Is it? Yeah, it's it's like a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, it's like a little bit gangster and a little bit like rough, and it's like it's 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 the dialect that a lot of the comedy in Japan is in. Oh, so it, when he okay. speaks Japanese, he, he's just like such a character. Not that he isn't a character already in English. Um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, he actually, 
he he came out here and we were doing the the whole uh, Japanese thing and we got sushi together and it was like Osaka Dave he's in town. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of similar thing. And so I lived, you know, so I studied abroad for two years and then after, like, you know, after I graduated the second program, the easiest thing to do when you've been studying Japanese for so long is just to become a translator. Yeah, which is what I did. So I was a translator for actually the majority of my professional life. So where were you a translator and what were you translating from and to? And uh, I ask that because mm-hmm. I would imagine if you're in the U.S., you're probably translating someone speaking Japanese to English or maybe vice versa. And then mm. hypothetically the opposite there, right? You could go over there and translate for someone mm. speaking Japanese to a, right. an American. So businessman. wait, so in, in our, in our vernacular, what you're talking about is interpreting. Oh, is that different? That's speaking. Okay. Which is like, it's, it turns out to be like a totally different skill because it's real time. So quality doesn't really matter as much as like the ability to like, because everyone's in the room together. Ideas or whatever. Yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interpreting. I am awful at that. Okay. I suck at interpreting. I did not know that they yeah, were. Yeah. So I do translation, which is like taking text, which doesn't move, you know, it's there on the, <laughs> on the, on the computer screen. Uh, and so what the difference between translation and interpretation is that interpretation is real time. doesn't have to be perfect. Translation is not real time. You know, as long as you meet your deadline, it's fine and it's going to live forever. Yeah. So it needs to be good. And so, um, so yeah, I just fell into translation and the way it works is it doesn't geography doesn't really matter. What matters is your native language. You always want to translate into your native language, not out of it. because you're going to create better product sure because you know it fluently whereas like if i you know i could probably translate in japanese but i don't have a native sense for it so i'm probably going to create things that don't sound so good so did you uh what kind of what kind of work do you get as a translator uh in japan obviously it's a lot of technology um and so that was kind of you know the first time i had seen a lot of this stuff um i translated for hitachi mostly okay hitachi makes all sorts of interesting things like backup systems and hard disk things and like, uh, what do you call it? Software that like, uh, manages permissions of your employees and like just the, I mean, it's funny. Did, uh, to your knowledge, uh, does or did Hitachi make anything that wasn't in the technical space? The thing is these companies in Japan, these like giant umbrella companies make so much stuff that I'm sure they made stuff that was not in that space. I, um, for, before I got into programming, I did one last freelance gig uh, for an agency in the city. The agency was owned by uh, a larger agency called Chael, C-H-I-E-L, which owns like McKinney. Uh, Chael is its own agency, especially in the UK, and a few mm. other agencies. They're like a, like a publicist, if you're familiar with Oh, publicists. sure. Yeah, yeah, So it's yeah. like that, where it is a portfolio, like a, like a, right. a, a holding company, but also an agency within itself. Um and when I was at this agency, they did a lot of work for like Hankook Tires and a few other things. Mm. And then I later found out that Chael is like 30 or 40% owned by Samsung, oh. which is why a lot of the Chael employees that came to work on this project were coming from uh, South Korea. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and I was like, oh, wow. And then they gave me a brief rundown. They're like, dude, they're like, Samsung makes like wigs. They did oh, like sure. fish yeah. import and exporting. <laughs> like, you know, maybe not as much now, but when they first started – they were like Samsung's everything, and then they pretty much told me that if Samsung ceased to exist at a comp- as a company, like almost two thirds of the southern South Korean uh, like economy would just totally. yeah. yeah. Asia has a lot of companies like that. Yeah, um, North Korea. I'm sorry, South Korea, Japan, China. Um, Japan, you know, they had these things called the Zaibatsu back in What's the day. That? Zaibatsu were these conglomerates that just oh, did okay. a gajillion things, and like you know, um, they broke them up after the war, and then you know. Um, but now they still have these large organizations that deal in everything. It's like GE. There's a lot of companies like okay. that, that are GE. Yeah. They're like kind yeah. of like almost, almost national, but like not really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of companies like that. I don't think Itachi 
is one of them. I feel like Hitachi's more tech, but you know, I know like they make elevators or escalators <laughs> and stuff okay. like that. So I mean, but it's well, still, you know, mechanical. It sounds like, uh, it's hilarious. Cause there's, you know, you think of, other thing came to mind as I'm thinking about like Mitsubishi, they make cars, right. but then you're going to like a Best Buy and there's like a Mitsubishi oh. TV and you're oh, like, rice cookers. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, totally, a lot, there's like, so many like, companies like that in Japan. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I work for Hitachi, and so, like, when I get on an elevator, it's like Hitachi elevator, like, should I feel some sort of, like, pride? Because, like, I'm so different from what I do. The answer is no, by the way. Um, but, yeah, so I worked for Hitachi for, um, gosh, uh, I worked there while I studied Japanese. Okay. Uh, part-time. And then after that ended, I went full-time, and then eventually went freelance, and that's when I came back to the States. So, you were freelance translator? Freelance translator, right, starting in, gosh, uh, after Hitachi ended, which would have been 2004. Okay. Um, to give you some context, I was, in <laughs> I high want school to know. Oh, it's good. In 2004. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Graduated 2007. So I just started. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. I pulled 2004. No, it's all good. 2004. I think I went to my college five year reunion. If that gives you some oh, context. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> definitely on the other side of things. I don't think we had one of those. Cause I think mine would have, no, mine would happen this year if we have it. Dude, you should go. The five year reunion. I had my such a good time at. so big though. Like I went to USF. It's 50,000 students. And there was a couple thousand that graduated from my major. So like, Oh sure. It's more, I'm actually going down. But do you to, like a fraternity or some no, smaller group of friends? You it, had so yeah. So for what that's worth, I'm going down to, again, you're right. I grew up in Kissimmee. I'm going down to Kissimmee March 8th. Mm. Um, so I'll go and I'll see friends that I went to high school with. And then I'll probably, I went to school in Tampa. So I'll drive mm, over sure. to Tampa and hang out yes. with some of them. Uh, but no, I didn't do the fraternity thing. I had a brother who's six years older than me. So the, the premise of hazing from oh, sure. someone who isn't, I blood. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm, uh, I'm not into I'm, it. I've done this for most of my life. Yeah. Um, but I went, to, I went to a school where the fraternities were mainly for people that couldn't make friends the first year. So I thought, so. when I, um, when I went to NYU, I went to NYU for a semester and I asked somebody, I saw the building that I lived in. I saw people with like Greek sweatshirts on mm. like their letters <laughs> going to the penthouse. And I'm like, there is someone else in one of my class explained my friend Kat, actually the one whose boyfriend, uh, runs uh, cause I met her in my marketing class. I sat next to her in marketing. Um, and I remember we got our marketing test back. I got a D and she got an A and I was like, can we study Ooh. together? <laughs> Come to find out she was roommates with my friend in the same building. So it all worked out. But Kat explained that the Greek life had the penthouses, but she also explained that at NYU at the time, at least the people who didn't make friends very easily. Sure. And they just same. sort of paid in for it or whatever. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, that that exists for them. But yeah. um, it's like yeah, online dating, except not online. And you, but you still pay for it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> perfect. In fact, they should at uh, these. They, they should adapt that tagline. We called them coed literary fraternities. That was, I think, what we called them at school, and it was like, wow, what a weird thing. Yeah. But no, they, you know, they did all sorts of social events. It's just, it wasn't the focus. And the thing is like, I was in something that's probably even more fraternity than a fraternity. I was in an acapella group. So, um, oh, okay. that's like, so I was going to ask, yeah. so, all right. So why for listeners, I will give you some context as to why I was going to ask at the CSS comp panel, you, uh, right. you were with the acapella group mm. and I didn't know that you sang acapella. Um, you're very good, by the way. Where alongside studying Japan were you like, you know, I want to go sing too. Um, uh, singing came first for sure. Um, so I, in, in, in high school, I, the, there was, you know, acapella groups back then. There was a kind of a new thing back then. This is before like glee and all this awful stuff. Um, uh, I actually knew of the acapella group 
that I wanted to join when I was in high school. They were on my radar. And actually it was like the was Rockefeller group of Brown that, that I want that eventually joined. I was like, oh, I want to be in that group. The Brown Derbies okay. is their name. Uh, and so that was more of a motivation. I mean, so I think most of my collegiate experience was acapella and more than academics. Did you sing in high school in an acapella group as I well? I did. I did. Okay. The acapellas. Um, <laughs> yeah, everything is fun. <laughs> That's I like, uh, I mean, the only thing I can relate that to is what's that movie? Pitch Perfect. Yeah, like, you no, know totally, names, totally. Right. Like, like no, I didn't see it. I can't watch any of that stuff. I cannot. It's just too real. Too real. Um, Wait, so hold on though. When you say too real, like there was like those kind of, there was those like competition circuits and that kind of stuff. We competed. We oh, sang yeah. on Good Morning America. I mean, we sang Holy in God. Carnegie Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had, we had, it was a good year. 97. Back in the year 97. Um, yeah, we competed in one of the, it's like basically, well, actually one of the alumni from our group started this uh, collegiate acapella competition. And I think this is one of the earlier years, mm-hmm. the second or third or fourth year. Um, and yeah, and like, you know, the final competition, there's like a bunch of rounds regionally. And then like the final competition is held in Carnegie Hall. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, we sang in that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was great. Actually, there's a clip of me on YouTube. Uh, we sang a Good Morning America to promote that event. Uh, and there's a clip of me on YouTube being the business manager of that acapella group, talking to the hosts of Good Morning America back in the day. That's like my uh, naked baby photo of, of my I'm going to find days. that photo. <laughs> Please, I'm yes. Find it. It's so uh, If this makes you, I mean, it doesn't sound like you're uh, embarrassed by any of that, but I played in a uh, nationally ranked Oh wow! So, All right. I mean, I like I you know I grew up in Florida, so I played I played competitive football. But um, I I have some friends that I have some friends that were drafted in the NFL, and I played against some people that play in the NFL. Um, one of my buddies like has a national championship. He played for Auburn when they won the national. Cha- I don't know if you're into football or not. Uh, so he played when Cam Newton played. Okay, sure. Um, so football was very big in my town, um, but I'm you know a five eight white guy, and I'm pretty athletic but i was it was at that level yeah i mean my my friend to sharvin he's was six foot one maybe 155 pounds and you're talking about like florida high school football it's not very big but he'd jump in the air one-handed interception on the sideline it was like spectacular like it was a spectacle within itself so at that point i was like and then a few kids one kid that i played with holds the entire state of florida's record for most points scored in a season which Emmett Smith played high school football in Florida. So you're talking about like NFL, like he broke all of it. It was not, I was like, mm, mm. football. All right. So here's, here's what I think. My acapella group in college is to the Backstreet Boys as your flag football team is to the Miami Dolphins. Yes. Probably accurate. Fun fact about the Backstreet Boys. One of them went to my middle school. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which one? Uh, AJ. AJ. Whoa. Interesting. So like, you know, I just saw their uh, documentary. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah they're all from Orlando. My brother tried out for uh, Mickey Mouse club when, oh, sure. when Justin Timberlake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really random shit. <laughs> um, yeah. I actually think about what would have happened. So my brother's a designer um, and he works in LA now. Uh, but I wonder what would have happened if he had made the Mickey Mouse club. Cause I think it would have been a totally different trajectory. For given sure. given yeah. the, he might still have been in LA now. though. Yeah, yeah. probably. Um, all right. So, Back to you, though. So you're doing a bunch of Japanese translation stuff. Mm. Um, where does programming come into the picture? Um, so I did a lot of Japanese translation, and I'm so, uh, I don't know, I'm a particular kind of thinker where, like, for me, grammar comes easier than vocab. Okay. So, like, so I'm much... you end sentences with prepositions and stuff, or no? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, for me, it's more like, I am much better at learning a language that's a little bit harder, like Japanese, that is consistent. Okay. Japanese is very few exceptions, you know? Yep. Um, 
uh, it's, you know, there's, there's maybe four irregular verbs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and you know, there's no tense or like very little tense. Yeah. There's like a, you know, a past future and then a, I'm sorry, present future and then a past tense. So it's not like you have to learn all these like, you know, subjunctive stuff that we have in English. Um, and so I was the kind of thinker that I was. And so I feel like, uh, yeah, it would kind of, uh, learning how to code kind of came naturally. So basically what happened is I would translate things and I would see patterns and I was like, Oh, these patterns are so redundant. Like I should automate them. And like, there really wasn't any good software for Japanese to do kind of automated translation. Oh, like Like, when you say automated translation, I just want to give you some context. Mm. When I'm thinking automating translation, it's like copy paste into Google translate, but it doesn't sound like that's Mm. what you're talking about. No, 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 no. That's machine translation. Okay. So Google Translate is machine translation, and Google Translate is based off of human translation somewhere on the internet. They, yeah. you know, they have a corpus, and yeah. they match them up. Um, no, so that's machine translation. Autom- when I'm saying automated, I'm like, listen, uh, I'm translating Japanese, and you know, there's so many things that just like you translate over and over again. Um, you know, to execute this command, comma that that like phrase, okay, or you know, clause would be like in like. 8,000 sentences or whatever yeah, in like a giant yeah, manual. And so like, like just translate it once, you know? Yeah, and so right. I did a lot of like search and replace. Oh, okay. That makes total sense. Which you can do, you know, to some level. Um, Japanese is a little harder because like the, the subject and the object of a sentence are implicit, which means you don't, you can leave them off. So like in English, we'd be like, I ate rice. In Japanese, they'd just be like, ate rice. And be like, who, who ate rice? Yeah, like it's yeah. implicit from the context that you're in. So like, and that, there's a lot of stuff like that that's, I, I like in Japanese to Pearl, it's like a little bit loosey goosey like that. And there's a lot of context that's just stuff, or maybe even Ruby on rails development where like, there's a lot of like magical context that yeah. like is not in the code, but like everyone understands yep. is, is, is what you're referring to. So, um, did a lot of search in place. I was like, Oh, this is so like almost automatable, but not quite. And like, I couldn't code. And I was like, well, I kind of want to make something that like helps me out with this. And then I had a friend that I worked with, Eric, Thing, uh, who is also a Backstreet Boys fan. Um, and he was like, he had just left. I worked with him uh, after college and he had just left Microsoft Research and Development uh, in Beijing. And he's like, listen, I have this, you know, office. I have this developer pipeline and you should come to Japan and you should, this idea that you have to like help automate translation, you should like come to Beijing and build it. Yeah. You, know, you can pay these devs a lot less than you would pay them in America. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And uh, I kind of thought I could just go to, go to China and like write stuff on a whiteboard and like they would build it for me. Yeah. Like it was not true. <laughs> uh, and so that's when I learned how to code. And so this is like, this is like right when jQuery came out. It was like 2007, oh, okay. 2008. Uh, uh, and so that's, that was the first thing. That's when I started, le- that's when I started learning how to develop. Okay. For real. Um, and so, yeah, so I started doing the, just the front end on this like app that I was. What'd you think about it? And, and, and so I'm asking that uh, from my perspective, I've, I've been in that scenario where you've got, these are my words, not yours. You've got yes. someone building out the meat and potatoes and then you're adding like the, the appetizers. Uh, I wouldn't see it that way. That's my take. In what I was building, the front end was actually much more important than the back end. Oh, was it? Because the back end is just persisting strings. I mean, it's really it's not a lot okay. of logic. All right, that's fair. So, so basically the interface was, it looks like, I don't know if you've ever used like an input method editor. Basically like yeah. when you're typing Japanese, they have the same keyboard we do basically. Right? Do they? they have a QWERTY keyboard, right? They don't even have, these characters don't exist in their language, at least not a, right? That's not the main part of their language is not, is not Latin characters. And so um, when you're typing Japanese, you're, sp- you're typing phonetically in Japanese. Like, when you type sushi, just like us, it's like S-U-S-H-I. Yeah. The difference is the S-U then converts to a phonetic character. The S-H-I converts to a phonetic character. You press the space bar, those convert to a Chinese character. Oh, so like there's wow. this whole layer of software in between what you're typing Holy and like, the text you come out yeah, with. So yeah, that's yeah. called an IME. Anyway, uh, the thing that I was building was basically an IME interface for translators. Yeah, all right. Where you would select a word and it would show you a bunch of translations and you select one. And so is that a lot of like key code kind of stuff? 
There's a, I, I mean, really like that's, that's really low level, or there really aren't that many. Key, I mean, the thing is, uh, uh, you only look at the text once it's already written. So the only key codes you're looking for, are like you know, I mean, you're really only looking for well, like, like said, arrows science, and spacebar right? and stuff. Yeah, well, that was the idea, and it turns out my whole thesis was incorrect. That translators care about this stuff; they don't. Um, so I was a very analytical thinker. And every time I looked at a sentence, I would like break it down to like an abstract syntax tree in my brain and be like, Oh, this is the clause. This is the conjunction, like all this like stuff grammatically. Cause I kind of, when I was studying Japanese, I basically studying Japanese is a really good way to study English or I'm sorry, studying, studying a foreign language is a really good way of studying your own language because like all these things that you learn in high school, but you really don't care about and kind of forgot. You're like, Oh, that's what they mean about this thing. Cause like this language doesn't have that and does it this way. And so like, half of learning Japanese was learning about language in the abstract. And so um, it turns out that no one thinks like that and translators aren't willing to parse uh, text into an AST <laughs> while they're working. Who knew? Cause it's a lot of work um, okay. for a lot. I think for most translators, it's a black box. They read a sentence, they like stew it in their brain and they like spit it out, but they don't have any introspection on how, like what's actually happening. They don't look at like, Oh, this is a dependent clause or like, this yeah. is, this. they're not like, I already translated this, basically. right. They just so, keep going. Yeah, yeah, so they just, it's just like, it's just in and out. It's just a black box. Uh, and so I, I didn't realize that that's how most translators think. And so the product that I built didn't really go anywhere because it was a little too... What uh, what did you do after that then? Uh, what did I do? I went back to freelance translation. I moved to Tokyo. Okay. Um, and I lived in Tokyo. Gosh, so that's now, what, 2009? Lived there for a few years until 2013 when I moved here. Okay. And uh, what... what uh... What was the, the, or the idea behind switching like you to program? Oh, uh, so at that point, so I'm so here, here I am still a translator, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, that's how I make money. Uh, and then I'm just doing a lot of open source programming and really enjoying oh, it. Okay. So really, you're doing it for fun at that point. Right. Exactly. And so I started doing that in now. So I was one of the, like, I was super early on GitHub. Um, so basically that. I'm entirely like the GitHub generation of programmers. Like, I don't remember which you, maybe you are too, but like there was a time before GitHub and like I just did, it was not a programmer then. So I don't remember it. Um, I moved to San Francisco after I lived in China Okay. and the guy who lived in the room before me was one of the founders of GitHub. Oh, really? So it was like early days. Um, and so, uh, and so yeah, I did a lot of open source programming for fun. I built a lot of things that were like bookmarklets cause like you couldn't build JavaScript applications really easily back then. So I built a lot yeah. of like bookmarklet things. Um, I built the first cop, one of the first copy and paste on iPhone before they had it. Oh yeah, using bookmarklets um, and stuff like that. And so, uh, so I did a lot of that stuff. And eventually, yeah, I just uh, went back to translation, but did a lot of open source like kind of development. I spoke a lot of conferences, and then I was always afraid of getting into programming as a profession because I thought that if I did that, I would actually not enjoy programming anymore. But even though you were doing all these things that programmers were doing, anyways, right? Uh, contributing to open source, speaking yeah. at conferences. Right. You were basically a programmer just not getting paid to do it. Totally, totally. And, you know, I was like, because I, you know, I thought, like, it's like, it's like, what if you enjoy playing the guitar, but, like, you don't want to be in the band because, like, a music industry is awful and, like, you don't want to be part of that. I had the same ideas about programming, which turned out maybe. Well, it sounds like it's also, also um, fantasy of it. That's probably not the right word, but, like, it's really great when you do it, but because you don't do it all the time is probably what also makes it great, right? If you go and do this thing, Every day like, for someone else. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. it might remove totally. some of the mystery which I thought, and some of the fun. Which I thought, and it did, but it, it was definitely, uh, I was wrong. I mean, I should have gotten into programming professionally much earlier. So I did that finally, and my first programming gig was at Gilt in uh, Japan. And so that was my first, like, real, real like, programming. Wow. So then, okay. that For someone who's not very good at grammar, I'm a bit of a, like, a, a grammar snob. Um, 
very good at editing other people's stuff. That's what I've been told. So like if you had a blog post and you wanted me to edit it, I'd be pretty good. I, I can I can rip stuff apart. Sure. Um, but I'm not very good at grammar on a larger sense. Like the idea of a, a direct and indirect uh, like object of a yeah. transitive or uh, ditransitive. Uh, so fun facts. Uh, I went to school. I got a degree in public relations. Uh, but the college I had to get into is College of Mass Communications. And you have to take the English diagnostic test, which is a 200-question test to um, – see where you land on a scale which actually has no bearing in the actual college it's just an entrance exam always, always to be like what's a verb what's a noun what's a participle what's a indirect and, and direct adverb or blah 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 took the test seven times what wait because you failed six yeah wow uh, dedication uh yeah dedication mass communications had the quote air quotes coolest uh majors like I learned the stuff I learned in advertising is probably the same stuff that people learned in marketing, but marketing was through the business college and you had to take higher levels of math. Mm, so I was awesome. like, no, I want finite math. I want like 102 and 103 level math. I don't want high level math. So I'm going to do what I can to. Um, but what I realized later is like, um, as far as I could understand, right? I did public school my entire life. But uh, around the age in which you would learn these things in public school, I was moving. Like I'd move every year, not every year, but for like three or four years, we moved a lot. Um, so I think I missed some of that stuff. So my grammar is terrible until I took those classes. And then I was a journalism major for, I wanted, originally I wanted to be a journalist, uh, like a magazine journalist, because I thought that was super cool. And then I realized how terrible it sounded. Right? It's also just, it's getting so much more grim now. Yeah. yeah. Well, with, being a journalist, you know, when I, even when I graduated, when you graduated, like it's an entirely different profession. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I, would I would shoot, shoot myself, myself in the face if I had to write a BuzzFeed style article now. If I were of like a, you know. Like a listicle. <laughs> so bad. Um, anyways, so yeah, what I find interesting going back to this whole grammar thing is mm-hmm. I'm going to make an assumption and say that your JavaScript probably reads pretty well. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that at all. Really? I think my, cause uh, it depends. It depends on what kind of person you are. I'm the kind of person that believes use all the tools you have. Yeah. Um, I hate linters. Really? I don't use a linter. Hate that stuff. Um, even, even for linting to this extent of like, Hey, you missed a semicolon. I don't use semicolons. Really? Yeah. Okay. They're cruft. I mean, listen, like the, you don't need them. Like, I don't know. And this is a very specific aesthetic. I, I, I want to write the minimum code to like do the thing that I want to do. I mean, to an extent, right? Like, um, but yeah, I think my code, I, you know, people are like never, ever coerce, never use double equals, always use triple equals. I'm like, well, there's cases where coercion is like really nice. If I want to tell if something is undefined or null, I just do like double equal null. Right. Okay. You know, it's like, uh, so I'll use those shortcuts to like, okay. when it's so beneficial, beneficial, but to who? Um, so the thing is, I don't really work on big teams. So this is why I have this opinion that like, I don't really want to lint my code and I don't like this whole tool <laughs> chain of like having tools that yell at you. Like I hate that. And so okay. I'm more of like the Angus Kroll. Do you know Angus Kroll? I do not. Angus Kroll is a developer. Uh, he lives in San Francisco, worked at Uber. Um, he wrote this book called if Hemingway wrote JavaScript. I know that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote that book. He and I are on the same page. He's like, use all the tools you have. Don't believe in these. Like, there's so many people who just want to shit all over you for like writing JavaScript, not the way that they write it. Like, don't use width or don't use all this stuff. And like, yeah, sure. Of course, a lot of this stuff is going to bite you sometimes, but like, chill out, everyone. Like, just write the code you want. And so, I don't know. I I, I believe the code is more disposable anyway. I would rather write code to throw it away than write code that's going to live forever. Um, so I'm just much less, um, that's a fair point actually. 
I'm, 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 I'm more, I'm not a prescriptivist like so many. That's fair. So then, uh, I have one more question before I have a, a comment on, on my thoughts mm. on those. Um, do you, the two other people that you work with, are they also pro, uh, programmers? Of course. Yeah. So then how, how, how do you guys all sort of have the same mindset? Michael Hart, uh, he and I are like of the same brain. We are of the exact, we, uh, it's like, and it's amazing. Cause actually we met on GitHub through open source. We both were working on this, uh, for this, uh, and I lived in, uh, Tokyo. He lived in, uh, Melbourne and we did this, uh, when, right when Amazon's, uh, Amazon web services, Dynamo DB came out. I wrote okay. like the first driver for it. And so like he and I worked on that together. And then when I started doing Uniqlo, he moved to New York and it was like perfect timing. Let's do this together. And he did the back end of checkout and I did the front end of catalog and like it totally worked out. He and I have the exact same thought about programming. Okay. Like we're both like, keep it simple. Don't adopt something until you need it. Like just do the minimum. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to bring in all the shiny things, start with a giant framework yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this little piece of code does that thing bring it in and like you're just and like and like every every piece of code i bring in has to provide more value than um complexity and so that is definitely that we're of the same yeah. vibe and our friend uh martin who does a lot of the front end stuff he is now on that page i think when he started he had never worked with reactors what we worked with and react you know when, when it started at least was a little bit more of a minimalist thing before it metastasized into this giant tool chain by default um and so i think he's now on our same page yeah. Of like yeah Sure, you could use this component, but like, will it affect other stuff? And is the cost of that really worth the like feature that you're? Yeah. No. Okay. So that makes sense. So. Um, so yeah, it's like it's, I would call it, I guess, minimalist. I yeah. Know. No. Starts, that's, like, you know, it's interesting because it's. I agree with you, right? Um, we had this conversation at work, and this is much much smaller scale than some of the stuff you may have worked on, or the conversation me had. Um, the client client side developer. So mm-hmm. right, I work at an agency. He is a back-end developer. He's not a front-end developer. Or at least that's the stuff he likes back-end more. Um, and he was like, no, we have to use Bootstrap. Have to use Bootstrap. Have to use Bootstrap. And I'm like, back-end? Weird. Well, oh. when, 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 was this recent? It was. Um, I won't say who it was. Uh, that's okay. Um, well, part of So in his defense, part of the reason why I wanted to use that is because since he's not a front-end developer, right. he doesn't want to have to guess about why this thing is named this and what that name Oh, oh I'm sorry. Bootstrap, not Backbone. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Oh. So like some of those things made yeah. sense, but at the same time, Bootstrap brings in like five, 6,000 lines of code that mm. we were only using. He, we only wanted to use the grid, yeah. but so many other things are sort of tied. His choice is completely right. rational given his yeah. worldview. Exactly. exactly. It made total sense. Um, but at the same time, I was uh, of your mind like, no, we can just make if, – if you want me to make a grid that has the same class names, I can do that. And that will be – because, like, for the, I mean, I am a front end developer, right? So we use Suzy to generate a lot of our grids. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Suzy, that's like a couple lines and it generates all. So for the developer, it's very few lines. It generates mm-hmm. a bunch of shit. Um, and there's tools that'll compile that, gzip it, whatever. It makes it super small. But he's like, no, I have to use Bootstrap um, because of. All right. Bit of a pain for me. That's okay. Sure. Makes his life easier. That's the most important part. Mm-hmm. The other side of it, though, let's say that he was on the same lines of like, fuck semicolons. Um, the other part of it is, I guess my thinking is, uh, you may not be, or I may not be at my company forever. Right. You may not be a unit or working with Uniqlo forever sure. and other developers need to pick that up. So then hypothetically that might add a millisecond of comprehension time for them to be like, Oh wait. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I realize I'm splitting hairs. Um, p- part of me is like, just like you code it fast, code it right. And right is somewhat subjective. Uh, but then the other part is, uh, it to some kind of a to like a common core of understanding sure. right so if 
and I'm making this up, 98% of developers, programmers use semicolons in their JavaScript. They mm-hmm. code it that way too, just because it might make everybody a sure. little bit faster. But I totally see your stance. I mean, the thing is, who cares anymore? I mean, we have so many code transform tools now, like Babel and like all these things, and yeah, like it'll add semicolons for you. So, like, if you freak <laughs> out if there's no semicolons, like run it through a thing that adds semicolons yeah. and then then use that code. That's I've always I don't know. Um, I'm torn. I agree with you. Like there there are a lot of tools that do all the boring shit for us. Mm. But I guess I'm always worried. And this is I'm coming. I'm trying to come from a as pragmatic as I can be, being a, still a very early programmer in my career. Um, and not getting lazy. The last thing I want to do is write lazy code, knowing that a tool is going to clean it up for me. Uh, so here's, here's I'll look at it from a front-end perspective. Think about like post-CSS and that kind of stuff. Sure. You don't need to worry about vendor prefixes anymore because it goes in and, and does it for you, which is good. Right. Uh, but what's bad is you don't need to stay up to date to some degree. Right. Uh, and it's, yeah, but that's the stuff that, is there value add and staying up to date with what vendors have shipped uh, prefix? I, I think so. I think to some degree, and I think the value out is just to some, uh, again, all right, I'm trying to, I'm like a, a new school, old schoolist. I think there is some, because that just shows that you have some level of respect for an industry that you, you care enough to learn about it, to stay up to date about it and know about it. Right. Um, if I were to make an attempt to translate it to your past career, uh, you wouldn't go and be a, a Japanese translator and not care about like, probably had to know a little bit about the politics of the, your workplace, right? Because you, you had to, and it was only to some degree respectful, not only to your profession, the work you were doing, but also the culture that you knew about it and you yeah, knew well, they, how to yeah, navigate a style it. guide. You know, I had to say yeah. they use the Microsoft style guide. And so I had to say like, um, uh, instead of, you can't say the window to close, you would say the window to be closed. It's just passive, whatever. It's it's like, they, that's just their style guide. That's okay. their style guide. And so like, I would follow that and it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, Isaac Schluter, right? Um, uh, NPM Schluter. CEO, oh, uh, okay, early, okay. you know, second BDFL of Node, uh, super early Node guy. Um, he had a thing, you know, he, he, he and I have probably similar code aesthetics um, in terms of, well, at least when it comes to semicolons. And yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah, yeah like um, he, he talks about wearing pants. There's a tweet somewhere. Um, he talks about wearing pants. So like, yeah, when I'm at home, I don't wear pants, but when I go to your home, you want to wear pants and you're all into pants. So like, I'll wear pants at your house, yep. but like, you know, at my I wouldn't house. expect you to come wear yeah. pants at my house. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same thing. Yeah. I mean, all right. so that's, that's if, it's, if I'm making a pull request to some library that I use and yeah. they use semicolons, you'll abide by it. I do not. Yeah, sure. Okay. Of course. And that's, yeah, I guess that's, so that's totally fine. Um, and fair. And I probably misinterpreted some of the things you were saying as to be absolute golden rules when it sounds like they're not, they're just personal preferences. Um, the development world, I think is pretty interesting because you do have, you have some people in, in your position where you're like, here's what I like. Uh, this is my preference. If I'm in your home, I'll wear pants. Um, and then some people are like, no, I'm never wearing pants ever. It's against my principles. I'm not doing it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I don't, I, I never knew that a world that is so flexible in its being, right. Mm -hmm. You think about where we started, the idea of sharing information, uh, early, early on and sort of adapting and changing whatever. And now you've got some people, um, not anyone in particular, that are just very much they're, purists. They're, they're fundamentalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's fundamentalists. And, you know, and I think one of the great things about coming f- to programming super late and also coming from natural language is that you realize how much of that stuff is just not consequential. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really easy to be a fundamentalist in Texas if you've never left <laughs> and you complain about all these things that happen. But, like, you know, 
all you have to do is study abroad once and all these things that you take for granted, yep. like don't exist. And you're like, whoa, the world is not what I thought it was. And then it just gives you a wider view to like be more accepting of like other yeah, viewpoints. No, I think programming is the same thing coming from not coming late and, you know, coming from, you know, natural language approach, I think just makes everything a yeah. lot less like dire. That's a, you know, that's a fair point. I wonder, I wonder what, like, I realize we'll never really have this answer, but if we could get a, a general consensus of people within their first two years of programming, at large to see how they stay fair on that. Cause I, w- I could see some people are like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what anybody else does. I love this shit. I just, I go in my hole and I figure out and then I could see. So that's one end of the spectrum, right? Some people who are like, I just do it my way. And if it works, it's cool. If it doesn't. whatever. And then there's some people who are probably like, no, I, I know every JS framework because it's the new hotness and yeah. it comes out, you know, that those people are they have tough, tough, Tough time in front of them because just it's exhausting. It is, but it's all like I. So I'll say this from my perspective: I the only framework that I've used is uh, JavaScript framework. Yeah, 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 yeah. JavaScript framework. I've I've used Angular because mm-hmm. someone wanted me to build them a marketing site in Angular, mm-hmm. and I tried to warn them about the SEO implications at the time. Oh, you mean just server server side client side thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, everything it was all client side, but it was like wiping everything out. Like there was no page reload. It was, it was terrible. Sure, sure. It was terrible. But I was like, all right, that's what you want. That's fine. Um, and then I've used Knockout because we use Knockout at work. And the reason why we use Knockout at work is because we work with a very large publication company um, that deals with a multiple variety of vendors. And they, at the time, they're now shifting over all, everything to React. Um, and I think it's for uniformity more than anything else. Um, but Knockout has done what we've needed it to do. And it's pretty small. And actually, the one thing I do like about Knockout, and I'm hopefully I can explain this in a way that makes me doesn't sound like an idiot, uh, you can sprinkle Knockout on top of things, and it works. You don't need to. It's not like React where you need to build like this module that's like relatively concrete. Um, you can do that with React. I think Angular. Yeah. Ang, well, Angular is uh, I, maybe any of these frameworks. Any more things? I mean, I'm super early on React. Um, uh, built a little bit, only a little bit in Angular, but uh, React, at least from the get-go, doesn't want to own as much because it's just a view layer. Uh, okay. Whereas Angular, it's like, you literally, like, it has its own exactly. scope, and it, yeah. like, takes over the events, like, loop for you, and, like, yeah. does dirty checking and all these things. So, like, it really wants to own everything. So it was really hard. It just seemed like it was harder to add a little bit here, whereas, like, React, like, you could just, like, mount it on one component that exists in your existing uh, okay. Um, all right. That makes sense. Yeah, and I, I mean, going forward, I feel like they're, it, they're, it's going to be hard to have a framework that doesn't do that. Um, all right, different, different, different alley avenue, whatever. How did you get involved in Brooklyn JS? Ah, uh, get involved in. Well, I started it. <laughs> um, here's what happened. Uh, How did you? Why? Why did you start Brooklyn? Um, I moved here from Tokyo, yep. and you know Tokyo doesn't really have much of. It's kind of like a small JavaScript scene, um, uh, but not much of one. And when I moved to New York there and people have heard me tell this many times so um hopefully none of your listeners um basically i got here and jeremy ashkenaz who built you know uh backbone and underscore and coffee script lived here you know lived in brooklyn heights uh, john resig from jquery uh lives in park slope uh oh yeah 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 and then uh ryan Dahl from node lives in williamsburg it's like all these people who did like awesome javascript stuff it's, I, it's weird i didn't ex- i expected a lot of those people to be in san francisco not here well, a lot of them were, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, um, John Resig wasn't, he goes out there cause he works at Khan Academy and they're in the Bay area. So uh-huh. he goes out there once in a while. Um, but yeah, Ryan Dahl was from Oakland. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, so, but th- there was just a lot of JavaScript talent here and I figured there would be a scene because I, I had been here in the past and there had been a scene, more yeah. of a scene at least, because I met, you know, uh, Jeremy Ashkenaz at a meetup called NYCJS in 2010 uh, when he, back when um, CoffeeScript was written in Ruby still. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so moved here, figured there'd be all these awesome people to hang out with and there was just like, there were no events to hang out at. Uh, and so I had met uh, Brian J. Brennan, uh, Brian Loveswords, on Twitter. Uh, and so we, we had met at a conference and we both lived, he lives in Fort Greene. So we're like, Oh, we should totally do a thing like small thing, whatever. Uh, and so we started the first Brooklyn JS in November of 2013. Uh, and you know, just, you know, threw it at the wall, see if it would stick. Was, that, was, that, was it still at 61? It, it has been in 61. The only time we weren't at 61 was when we were at Littlefield that oh, one, wow. that one time. So 61 venue, 60, that 61 venue, 61 local is a, is a bar, uh, in Cobble Hill, um, on 61. Which, it was on my, on my shit list for a while. 61 was? Yeah, man. Well, because, um, they stopped allowing computers on the weekends. Oh, come on. So here's, hold on, hold on. Here, here's why it's on my shit list. Okay. It, the premise, that premise is totally fine. Sure. Now, remember I come from the, uh, where my previous career was digital social media, sure. right? Okay. All that kind of bullshit. And my girlfriend and I went in there one day and we just got like a drink or whatever. We were just hanging out. And I saw the sign. I was like, oh, you, when did you guys stop doing that? She's like, just recently. I was like, well, why? She's like, well, you know, we just wanted to really embrace our community and gave me like this. At, at the time, it felt like, and I was like, a judgy. what I wanted to say was your community is a bunch of people with laptops. That's why it was packed with laptops all the fucking time. Yeah, but they—they're—I think they're entitled to shape it. No, they are. They—they they totally are. I'm not—I'm not upset at that rule. I was upset at the the spiel I was given. Yeah, totally. yeah <laughs> more than anything else. It's a great space, though. That's where I went when we had the blizzard just recently or whatever. Uh, it was open. The bartenders hated everyone who came in. I was like, "How late are you guys open to?" He's like, "Whenever you guys leave." Yeah, it, well, like I was sitting in the bar, and so for what it's worth, I'm not bashing 61 local. I love the place. These are just two small instances. Sure, sure. But one of the bartenders, someone walked in. He's like, they just keep coming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> everything else was closed. They were the only thing open. It's funny. We actually, uh, I organized an event called Snowworking. It was oh, a co-working, yeah. co-working event for the blizzard of last year. Okay. It was a big blizzard, uh, and like everything was closed. And like you know, they have FiOS, you know, uh, fiber. So they're, yeah, yeah. As long as the endpoint is saturated, their internet's actually really fast. Holy shit. Um, yeah, they introduced that like halfway through because we started doing this. So part of Brooklyn, so Brooklyn JS JavaScript meetup, you know, talks and music and all that stuff. Uh, but actually, it starts at 10 a.m. with this event called Boregramming, yep, and yep. Boregramming is basically like a day of co-working yep, upstairs yep. in the same space. So they give us the entire space for 50 bucks for the day. So we're like, oh, why not use that and actually like co-work during the day? Yep. So yeah, and then we so we had this one snowworking event. Um, so they're pretty flexible like that. Um, That's really cool. I think 61 local, and I have I have a giant post on GitHub if you want to see it. Um, it's called uh, it's github.com slash jed slash building hyphen Brooklyn JS. Uh, and it's a post about just like the entire process. I wrote that when I, my last month as an organizer. So basically I wanted just like all this stuff that I had learned. I just wanted to data dump into a post, just like put it there. I saw that come out into the Twitter ether. I don't think I read it, but I saw it. It's, it's, it's it's a long read, but you know, if you're, if if you're organizing a meetup in your, in your corner of the, of the world, I think it it might, there might be some nuggets in there for you, but basically it was just a data dump of like all the stuff that we did. Cause you know, our, our meetup is, and is a bit different than the usual template. You know, it's not one of these beer and pizza and fluorescent lights at a startup office meetup, uh, which, you know, are great, but like don't really have, um, personality. Um, and it's more of like, you know, we're upstairs in a bar in a dedicated space, a bar that, you know, serves beer that you would want to drink. 
Um, and we have music, uh, and it's just like a little bit more of like a cool scene, I think, than a lot of, um, startups that are kind of only as cool as the startup are these events that are startups. They're only as cool as the startup will allow them to be. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a common thing. Um, but no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool event. So yeah, we started doing co-working there. And so 61 has actually been like super, super flexible. You know, they cater our meals there and, uh, Yeah. And so they've been really good about promoting us. And so that's been actually, I think one of the, one of the key uh, ingredients of success of, of the event. Amazing. And that's been what you said since 2013. Yeah. Yeah, So I think it's, we're on the 20, we'll shoot the 28th event now. And this is the first one, actually the next Brooklyn JS is the first Brooklyn JS I'm missing. Oh, wow. Wow. And that's because you're traveling, right? Yeah. Uh, Were they always always super popular? Um, they've always been more popular than we expected. Uh, so we put tickets on the first night. It was going to be free. Okay. It'd be free. And then, uh, you know, tickets sold out in two hours. Wow. And then none of my friends could get a ticket. How many, how many tickets were available on the first night? Uh, probably around, probably around 70. Well, that's a lot. But John Resig was speaking. So basically when you, when you launch, when you launch an event, if it's JavaScript related, you got to get John Resig to speak. So I feel like that popularity and like, because there hadn't really been much of a meetup seen for the next for the past previous year or two um i think there was like a latent uh pent-up demand for that and so it sold out really fast and i was like very sheepishly sent everyone an email listen your ticket's now invalid i've only let people who got tickets know tickets are now five dollars <laughs> instead of free uh and you know you have first dibs until 9 a.m when we're gonna open up the next round so oh, about 80 percent of those people converted why uh, to the new tickets why did you switch it to a priced ticket versus there is it's just the 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 Actually, static friction of I, yeah. So I'm sorry, I'm interjecting. I imagine that probably 30 percent of the people that got that free ticket weren't going to show up, totally. and it and it and it wastes yes, a spot. Yes, this is exactly yes. And so what you do is you can just blow up the number of tickets you give out. You know, sell 200 tickets for 100 spots, yep. but like you have no idea of what that conversion is going to be like because the yeah. person who invested in that ticket literally clicked a button. Yep. So just like requiring five dollars. Yes, oh, I hate those people. I hate those people. I wish you could say all that. There's well, there. I've seen. I've seen some events that there's only a going and not. Um, yeah, just this that commitment, and then the tickets next month went to ten dollars, and the tickets next month went to fifteen dollars, and then we really didn't want to get more expensive than that. Yeah. Fifteen, we thought was a good price, and it's you know it's at cost, so fifteen dollars gets you a beer, um, and it gets us to pay for the space. So we basically. Yeah, well, you guys uh, also often. I was I was looking at your budget, so. To be entirely honest, my girlfriend was trying to throw a birthday party and she was trying to see about doing that at 61. And I was like, well, wait a second. I know Brooklyn JS posts their quote unquote air quotes financials, but it just kept saying 50 bucks. I was like, there's no way that space is 50 bucks. It is during the week. Yeah. So like that space during the weekend is when 61 monetizes that space for yoga sessions and birthday parties and stuff like that. So if you're going to get that space on a weekend, it's going to cost you more money. But during the week, it's just empty and having a hundred, you should tell her this, having a hundred thirsty, you know, you know, well, well enough healed developers, uh, come is, is a win. So, I mean, it's, it's a total financial win for both of us. So, and what that means is, you know, we are able to sell tickets basically at cost to our attendees. And then because we have these hundred developers, we attract sponsors and those sponsors want to pay to be in front of those developers. So all the money that we raise, which is about, you know, a little bit more than a thousand dollars a month, uh, we raise for an organization called script ed that does outreach. They teach, they basically give, uh, kids in schools in New York that are under-resourced, um, access to careers technology by teaching them CSS, HTML and jobs. Oh, really? Uh, And then placing them in internships. Oh, so this is like uh, towards the end of their schooling then? 
Uh, high school, yeah, probably, yeah, junior, senior year. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know. Um, and yeah, so we, we we throw them. I mean, we thrown them about forty thousand dollars since Brooklyn Jay started. Yeah, it sounds like it was like uh, a happy coincidence. I, I say it because I don't know if you had a prior relationship with six. No, no, not at all. No, and I, I I didn't really realize the value of it to them. So I was like, oh, they're probably going to turn us down, or it's probably going to be too expensive. You know, we almost we almost didn't have it there. We almost ha- ended up having it at a code school. Oh, really? And that just would have been a totally different vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, part of what I write in this post is that like um, having that freedom of having literally our own space that we are paying for yep. um, gives us the, gives us the freedom to like d- develop our own personality. And so yeah. like, shape you know, it the way, the way you want, you want right. it to be shaped. So we did a lot of like, we print custom 3d tokens um, and we do laser etched Metro cards. I, you I, probably I get that. The Metro Metro cards still. Um, and I purposely did not trade that in for a beer because like this totally. Is yeah, yeah. And that's the whole, that's the whole idea. So basically the idea is instead of providing paper tickets that are redeemable for a beer, uh, we spend like a lot more money per ticket. We spend two or three, sorry, one or $2 to actually right now, Brooklyn JS is uh, laser etching um, acrylic like Metro cards that say Brooklyn JS on them instead of, yeah. you know, Metro card on them. Um, you know, this is how you get on the subway here in New York. Um, and so the idea is, well, if you're going to spend $15 a ticket and the ticket comes with a beer, okay, well, if the beer is going to cost $7, you know, eight after tip, yep. um, you know, spending, if we can spend, instead of spending zero on a ticket, spend $2 on a ticket, but then you won't redeem it for a beer that actually generates more money for yeah. scripted. So, um, that was math that we didn't expect to work, but did. Uh, and so, and then that's again, another thing that's like, you know, everyone knows they go to Brooklyn JS, they're going to get like this, you know, kind of memento. Um, so that's another thing that kind of allowed us to forge, forge that was just having a space that was ours. That's really cool. Um, so then the, the last question on this topic is, is, and maybe it's written in this post, I don't know, but what, uh, what, why did you end up leaving or removing yourself from organizing? Um, I was just done. I mean, uh, I, I created, I got a lot out of it. Um, you know, I met a lot of people, um, and I was able to create something that, you know, is closer to my vision of, of how this stuff should work. Um, and you know, as I was going on, I was just getting in the way. Um, uh, you know, we brought on, uh, very capable organizers. The organizers of Brooklyn JS now, uh, are, uh, Wilman Duffy, uh, Mariko Kosaka, uh, and so, right. So that was the, those are the original two that took over. And then now we have Jasmine Greenaway. So it's the three of them. Uh, and yeah, they just have more ideas and, you know, I, 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 I've created it, but like anymore, like they're the ones with the passion for like trying something new, you know, I'm already kind of like tired, you know, like I've tried this new thing and like, I'm kind of like, maybe I get, you get a little skeptical, but like it's, it was, I wanted to roll off while it was still on the up and not roll off after it kind of petered out. Sure. Um, because who wants to inherit a petered out, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, right? yeah. That makes and sense. it was, I think it worked out well. Um, I probably even stayed longer than I should have. Um, but the people who run it now are, are, are amazing and they're doing really cool, cool stuff. You know, they're finding speakers that I never would have found. Yeah. Do you still, uh, do you still advise? Like, are you involved at any point or now? It's so basically it was, it was a year of me and Brian organizing. And then it was a year of me and Brian emceeing and, uh, Wilman and Mariko organizing. He's the whole, the whole package is that yeah. man is, I, it's a huge man crush I have for him. Uh, he's, yeah. And he's actually, his, uh, aesthetic was so fundamental in shaping our, our aesthetic of Brooklyn JS. So basically while they were the organizers and they did the back work of doing all the tickets and stuff, we would just be the, the figureheads, the MCs who like tell jokes and introduce stuff. And so, um, yeah, I feel like I feel there was a point where I was like, you know what, like this is running itself enough with, you know, their work. So like, let them have a voice and you know, they're, 
people in the community are thinking about actually blowing up to a, like a full day. So the idea is all of the borough JS meetups of which there are some, when we started, there were none yeah. uh, and there was Brooklyn JS. And then the next thing was Manhattan JS. Yeah. And then there was Jersey script and there was Queens JS. So now, and they all happen in different weeks of the month. So now any given week of a month, there is going to be a JavaScript meetup where you can meet this community. And this like did not exist like three years ago. Uh, and so like the idea is maybe we could actually roll those into a conference. So this is yeah, it's, it's really completely cool. tentative. Um, but you know, Brooklyn beta, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Actually, and actually Brooklyn beta was my, I went once and I went the last year. So I, I felt like a total noob. Um, yeah. it was the best conference I ever went to because it was like, I don't know if you, if you've gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I was there that same year. Okay. Yeah. I liked it a lot just cause it was less about speaker. It was less about you sitting in a chair in a room with 500 people. And more about you hanging out with 500 people, which is not um, for what a conference typically is. That's not common. Right. So I feel like they're leaving – has created kind of a vacuum. And so I would love to see folks who do stuff in that space fill that vacuum. It's just organizing a conference is so much work. Oh, God. And so expensive. It's a lot of money up front. Totally. I mean, and and now at least, you know – the Borough.js community has credibility in that, like, you know, I mean, we've, you know, handed over 40K to, to script ads. So, like, at least maybe it would be easier to attract sponsors. Like, you know, we live yeah. some, some sort of pipeline. Yeah, tracker a pipeline. Like, you can just go back to, like, any sponsor and be like, hey, we're actually doing an event that's bigger. And, like, you'll actually have a bigger audience. Are you interested? Um, and so maybe we'll do that. But, yeah, they have these ideas that stuff that they want to do. Maybe different musical guests. Um, and so idea was, I mean, I've provided enough. I've, I've. I think I started my marginal utility was starting to be negative. So I think the idea was just like, yeah, give it to them. And I think it's, it's been amazing. And so now I, now I, I get my alumni ticket, which I pay for still, but like, at least I get reserved ticket, which is yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. all I need. Uh, and so I think it's been great. Now it's just, it's so great. It's so great. It's just like, you know, it's like, it's like watching your kid grow up and like go off and do their own things. Like yeah. they have their own personality now, which is, it has been amazing to watch. And that was only like two and a half years ago wow. that we started everything. So that's been, that's been a really cool thing and nothing I had planned here in New York coming into i didn't i never fancied myself as some as someone who would build a community but uh it just kind of happened and i thought it was pretty chill that's pretty I, I yeah i will say it's um it's really big um and if it's if it's physically not big right like you can only fit 100 people and i feel like it's probably one of the communities like i've gone to some of the meteor meetups which are pretty fun uh i've gone to a handful of other meetups on other topics um, when we um, uh, expand the room, when we hosted the CodePen meetup, there was a good amount of people. Right. But I don't know that there's any other community currently that I'm aware of uh, that has virality to some degree as Brooklyn JS. Like like we were talking about before we started recording, tickets go almost immediately sometimes. Um, and I don't know that anything else has. There's a few for sure. Oh, there's a few in New York. Uh, I forget the name of one of them. Sorry. I've kind of rolled off of doing any sort of events uh, recently, but uh, there's a few events that are definitely popular. Um, But there's a lot there. It's a, I think there's power laws. Like the events that are popular are really popular and the events that are not are not. So um, it's, it's tough. You just, you want to be on the right side of that, of that curve. Um, But also it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like people know that they have to buy a broken JS ticket because everyone has to says that it's so hard to get. So, but it's also um, like no recruiters there. That's a rule from the get go, and this is I think this is this is uh, Brian J Brennan really having a sense of you know what our identity is and what we stand for, you know, and he's been in community. Uh, tech stuff. You know, he worked at Mozilla much longer than I have. Um, He was like, yeah, that's like a rule. It's like no recruiters because like. Any, any more, you just get bombarded. And well, that's, that's what happened with Digital Dumbo is it was really cool. It was like the place to be third Thursday of every month. 
And then it ended up becoming a bunch of people looking for jobs and then recruiters. Mm, there was still free beer and pizza. It was still a thousand people, you know, well, they, it, it would wait list cause they could only fit like a hundred or so in the space, but they'd get like a thousand people wait list. And it was started by an agency called carrot creative. Um, and they're in Dumbo and it started at like a small bar and it was just yeah. them and their friends in the neighborhood. And then it grew to be really, really big. They also have a very, very large stamp, um, of culture and community in the Dumbo area and in like social media, digital advertising, et cetera. But as far as I know, I haven't been in years, and it's because like it was just a bunch of hired agency. Any I, I don't know anything that's run by a company to me, just it's it's going to have ulterior motives that maybe don't really gel with community. Yes, yes and no. no. Um, um, I, I say, say that, that coming from my perspective, in that I so um, Lara Lara Schneck, I think is how you say her last name. She was on, so she's the one that runs the CodePen meetups, um, and she's been on Shop Talk Show before, but. That's she's a friend of mine. So I was like, hey, we have an office. Use it because my bosses, right, because I have founders or whatever. They're like, yeah, you have a key. You can come in here whenever you want. Like but this. That was a code pen event. So it was. Hold on, though. Yeah. Uh, the code pen event. Everyone very much enjoyed it. Which made me think, OK, we should do this because what I've found and this is there's nothing wrong with this. There are a lot of like the meetups that I've been to, right? Brooklyn JS, uh, Medium, other CSS. A lot of them are talk related, and that's it though. It's just the talk. That's the end. You leave. You guys have the talk, and then you hang out and all that. Also, kind the of talks stuff. are short. Yeah, because no one wants to end a day of programming at work and, and come and like hear like a talk, talk for an hour. And I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jen Schiffer, uh, she's the one that does Jersey City, the Jersey Script, and theirs is more casual. Right? Uh, so she actually MCs Brooklyn Jazz now. So she oh, took over she? my okay. MC duties, and she also does Jersey Script. Jersey Script is yeah, it's literally hanging out in barcade for two hours. So, so what I, I feel like doesn't exist, or I will take that back, that I don't know about right. is the hangout part, which is you had a long day of uh, working on something for Uniqlo. My friend Claudina, who's been on the podcast, she's at Casper now. Uh, she had a long day at Casper. All of our friends had long days at work. So on a random Wednesday night, come to the office. We've got food and drinks and ping pong and video games. Just hang out. Sure. Uh, as long as there's no agenda, as long as the agenda doesn't creep so into it, that's, that's the hard I, part. You know, I, I think that is the hard part. And I understand, like I've talked to some of the bosses at my company and they were like, well, you know, we need to be aware that like we should be able to make announcements to say, hey, we're hiring if you're interested or such and such as an announcement period, sure. which is fine. Uh, but past that is where it gets tricky, I think. And I've um, I don't know if we're going to do anything yet because we're moving to a new office, which I think is a little bit smaller. Um, but I've wanted to start something that is very much around the idea of just me and my friends in this industry, just hanging out because you don't do that a lot. Like, you know, we could start hanging out because we live so close to one another. But if you're working with someone who lives in Queens, you're not gonna be like, Hey dude, let's, uh, let's hang out tonight till 2am and then take an hour commute home. Um, so yeah. So I've like, I've been like mulling over this idea of, trying to just offer the space. Yeah. Having a space and having it be the same space, I think is really important. Yeah. Cause like, if you can be like, Hey, the same time of month, the same, yeah. you know, yeah, location. Exactly. And like, you know, cause like that's actually allowed us, like that's one of the reasons we could even get Chris Corey to come and speak is because we knew it's always going to be on the third Thursday. So like if you have any third Thursdays in the next, whatever, yeah. like come. Um, and so that's been a great way of, especially now we've been getting, like we get, uh, Marine Haverbeko is here. He's a guy behind uh, code mirror. Oh, okay. Um, and so he 
give a talk. And so the only way we can do this is just by making sure we can be in the same space. And the yeah. reason we can do that is because again, it's a good financial relationship. So like they know that we're going to bring thirsty devs. And so they prioritize us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure they might have like uh, something that day that maybe is higher paying, but like to actually dis- disturb that kind of momentum that we have. It's higher like, paying once, like, but not right, long-term. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like they're thinking of the long term, which is great. And so as long as you can do that same thing, where like, the, I think a lot of these things where it's like, well, we're in this office as agency, but actually this day we have this thing. So it's going to be more important. So you're going to get booted. And so like those, yeah. that's where it starts to be yeah, like, well, that's where it gets stuff, tough. Right? Um, the, and, I mean, like I've had a few, I had this one thing I was calling it moonlight, moonlight collective, which was basically getting my friends together like one night a month to work to like, Oh sure. Like Saturday night, just like hack out till you fall asleep or whatever. Um, so like the, the, what I will say is that the, the bosses at my company, Todd and James, when they say you have a key, you can do what you want here within legal limits and reason, they genuinely mean that. Mm, yeah. So like the code pen thing, I was like, hey, are you guys cool with this? And they're like, what was funny, they're like, yeah, they're like, actually, because we, we built, uh, do you know Trogues Brewery? Sure. Uh, we redesigned and rebuilt their website. So they have a new website now. Um, and part of that, they were nice enough and they gave us some beer. They gave us a lot of beer. And when I was like, hey, uh, you know, my friend is doing this code for me, you know, whatever. And they were like, yeah, that'd be great. We also have a shit ton of beer people can drink. <laughs> Sounds like a win. Yeah. yeah so it's like, like they're very much like they understand that some things don't need to have any media yeah, agenda. On that. That's good. Yeah. They're really cool people. Um, we're running close on time probably. I don't know. But there's – I think I think we got a good episode so far. So there's three questions I want to ask you before we end. All right. The first is – Jed Schmidt now has all this knowledge. If Jed Schmidt now got into a time machine and talked to Jed Schmidt at any age, gave advice, what would, what do you think that might be? Holy cow. That's a very heavy loaded question. I realize. Huh. Maybe go back to high end of high school and tell me to study CS. That's fair. I think because I graduated college, like right when the tech, the first tech oh, bubble yeah. was like, bu- was booming. And I feel like I could have done, it could have been fun to be on, on board that. Um, but I only learned, I learned how to code like, like seriously after I was 30. So, uh, so yeah, I was definitely a late bloomer. So I would maybe just, I would go back to a time and be like, start earlier. Um, and uh, I, you know, I had this false belief that, you know, programming for a living would suck the fun out of it. And like, it sucks a little fun out of it for sure. Sure. Um, but it also adds so much more. It gives you new perspective. It gives you a uh, passion for stuff that otherwise would seem mundane. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like really cool because like you're solving it and you actually see like for Uniqlo. Yeah. yeah. Like we sell like stuff that I do on that site, like will actually make more money for them. And like just this little tweak where it's like, just seeing your ideas get, you know, yeah. vetted and vindicated so quickly, that's really, really cool. And that's something that I wouldn't get if I had just done like open source dev forever. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so then the sort of inverse in a weird way, it's not weird. I just, I'm terrible at explaining things. Um, if you received an email or met uh, a, a budding developer at like a Brooklyn JS or someone and they were like, hey, Chad, I'm a little baby at this advice. Um, what would you tell them? Would it be anything different? Oh man, it would so much depend on what they're doing and what their jam is. Um, yeah, don't get str- the thing is right. The JavaScript ecosystem right now, or front end, I should say, ecosystem right now, is so different than it was when I started. And there are so many more choices. There's so many great tools that we didn't have, but there's so many more choices. And the paradox of choice is awful. And so, like, I don't know, tune out people who who put you down for using some stack. Yeah. 
uh, and basically just build shit. And like, it, it doesn't like, no one's going to know if you used angular, like if that's what, if that's what gels with you, like just do it. And like, don't stress out about stuff. Cause there's so many people telling you like the hot thing is this. And like, it's true. Like the hot thing is that thing maybe, but like if, it, 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 shipping is just so much more important than, yeah. than, than what you're using to ship. So, um, yeah, just like build something. I mean, that's the best way to learn is just build something. Like I built a, like a bunch of bookmarklets. I built a bookmarklet that, uh, it was called text Panda. And this is literally me learning how to do front end JavaScript. And what it was is a little bookmarklet that you would put in your browser. And, um, when you were on a web form, you would click it and a little Panda would show up. This is early. So little <laughs> Panda would show up on like every input field uh and you would it could you could it would autocomplete stuff for you so you would oh, save a bunch cool. of snippets you know yeah, text yeah, expander yeah. this exists for for osx um this was basically for back in the day for like uh you know general web solution and yeah like that and like i learned so much from that tool so like just build little tools and just spin them off um and don't get uh don't get caught up in the hype i guess i don't know because yeah. there's you know all this stuff recently about javascript fatigue which i i cannot relate to like it's just totally self-inflicted it, it definitely is and i i can I can speak from my perspective, which is yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in, depending on the time of the day, I'm on both ends of that. Uh, there's days where I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I'm going to write this in jQuery. I don't care if you don't like it. I realize you can do it in pure JavaScript, whatever. And then there's other times that I'm like, no, you should, you know, this framework is not as good as this framework and whatever. Right. Um, I think it's hard though, because some of it, is let's say you're screwing around with view.js, the, the creator of view. And let's say it's what you've been working on. Right. The creator of view.js now works for Meteor. Um, and oh, this is a. I don't, I don't remember the person's name. Evan? Yeah, he spoke at Brooklyn.js. Did he? Yeah, yeah, super nice dude. He's, he was at uh, JSConf. Evan, yo, I think, right? Isn't Maybe. I heard him on JavaScript Jabber. Okay. If it's who I'm thinking of, he's super chill. And I only know that because... Wait, what was, what's this? I'm sorry, go back. No, I'll it's okay. So he works at Meteor now. Yeah, yeah he does. Um, so let's pretend that Meteor's like, hey, dude, you start working on it. They would never do that, right? Uh, but then it becomes deprecated. Now you're in this... In, in uh, this sure. Yeah, Always a risk. It, it, there is risk. Um, and there are... And then the flip side of that is when Meteor made an announcement that they were going to start using React or... Something, something about their Blaze temp- templating and a bunch of other templating stuff. Mm. And a lot of people got really mad. They're like, dude, this is my livelihood. Like, whatever. So I understand that sometimes uh, you do put your eggs in those baskets mm. um, and it might bite you in the ass. Mm. And then other times you just sort of, I don't know. It's I, better to have loved and lost. Um, that's actually, that's probably better. I, I think, it. but also it, I think it just drives home knowing JavaScript is so much more useful than knowing a framework. Yeah. So well, but that's, can, you know. That has been, and I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, that has been echoed from Uncle Bob for eight. Like, Bob, are you familiar, with Uncle Bob, Bob Martin? Your uncle? No, 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 no. no, no. Right, right, I'll, I'll show you who Uncle Bob is uh, afterwards. He wrote uh, "Clean Code" and "The Clean Coder." They're very. I mean, I, in my opinion, you can hand them. You can hand the clean coder. It's a book about like what it means to be a professional programmer, mm-hmm. and clean code is what it means to write professional code. Uh, or you know, professional air quotes code. Um, he's been he's like in his fifties, whatever. He's been writing like since like twenty twenty. Um, but he's been harping on the idea of fundamentals. I think everybody does. Everyone says fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. But I think everyone harps on foundations. But oftentimes, uh, say this with a grain of salt, they're not as easily accessible as documentation or information about the newest hottest shit. Right. It's like, how do you how do you ignore or cull 
your newsfeed on tech, whatever that is, right? Wherever you find that information to the actually like pertinent, relevant stuff that isn't current, currently hot or related to current events. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know that that is a question anyone asks, uh, but I could easily, you know, if you think about what your sources are, they're not like the sources that you look at to, to stay abreast on technology and stuff. They're probably not talking about like programming fundamentals as much as they are talking about like current things. That's okay though. I mean, uh, I think it's easier for me because I have a really good filter. Like I know now pretty quickly whether that's going to be interesting or not. That's a fair point. I think, but that's not something that's not a sense. That's a sense that I developed over five years. Yeah. Right. That's not something you start off with. Like you're like, Oh, this person says that thing's really cool. So like, it must be cool. And like, I can be like, mm, we've tried that before, or like, yeah. like that's really not my style. Well, and, or- it's, and it's hard too, right? Because if uh, it's probably happened to me, where I'm like, well, Chris Corey does it this way, you know what I mean? Or like, oh, well, Judge Schmidt did it totally, this way in totally. his open source, which is so, so it's, it's hard, hard, right? You, yeah, it is it's hard. almost. I mean, I could easily seeing it be one of those like, I, I, I immediately try to relate to sports where like you try to mimic your game after LeBron James, and then somebody else comes in and they're like ten times better than LeBron James, and you're like, well, wait, what? I do now. My, I, I've, <laughs> sure. got a, I've got a shot. I, I had LeBron. that thing with CSS. I, 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 you know, at the we had at the mm, Portland Jazz event, you you came to. Um, I was like, why don't we just use inline styles? Like, why yeah. do we still use CSS? <laughs> and, and I was, I was like, like, what the fuck? Totally, totally. <laughs> everyone was. Everyone was like, what? What are you talking about? And now, like, everyone does it kind of because now that everyone's on React, inline CSS is not a big or inline styles. I should say are not yeah. not a big. And honestly, though, I uh, with the knowledge I have about React. A lot of the, I think the end result of what you're talking about was inline styles, but I think, I think this was brought up in the talk at that time, but with React, you can couple things a lot closer. So you can couple the markup and the style and the CSS mm-hmm. and the JavaScript with that one component. Right. So you don't have to deal with style sheet over here, right. JavaScript over here. It's slicing, here. Uh, it's slicing uh, vertically instead of horizontally. Yeah. So it's yeah, exactly. like all your component CSS lives here and all your components, are like literally this component, all the things it needs live here. And this like, yeah. CSS, and that, which that is great, which I don't, but like, People looked at me like I had four heads, like and like literally the best practice on that has changed in a year. I yeah, mean, it hasn't. Yeah. I mean, that was in June. That's only been like a little bit. And like, it's gone from being like, oh my god, that's weird to like how most people do it. Yeah, at least people who are in. What's going to be great so. is, uh, and I'll say this, and then I'll ask that last question: mm-hmm. uh, when HTTP two becomes normal, right? Right when it default. is default, people are still going to change stuff because now it's like, oh you know, compile everything into a main, into a bundle. Like I think Webpack does like a main in a bundle or whatever. Right, right. Uh, but then when HTTP2 becomes normal, it's like, no, everything should be individual because the stream is, and it's like, it changes every day. And I think, I think what's hard is that we all try to um, anchor ourselves to something that right. is consistent, right. but the nature of our industry is inconsistent. Um, and, and I think that's just human nature, right? Like you're not that people, I mean, people don't like change. Uh, some people are more open to it, but generally speaking, there's a reason why you are okay with signing a lease for a place for a year because you know that your home, it's the same place, whatever. If you had to pick a new home every night, you'd be like, fuck. Um, all right. So last question is the super fun time question. Oh um, man, here it is. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but if you're not, it's a question that's not related to anything we talked about, i.e. your life. Well, it's backstories based on your life. Um, now I have to think of it because I don't know. What oh, really? Oh, man. All right. All right. I got like, one. Yeah. Favorite condiment. Favorite condiment? Wow. What qualifies as a condiment again? I Whatever. 
Well, like, you know, your, your oh. normal ones, your ketchups, your mustards, your mayos. All right, all right, all right. And I have a follow-up question after you. All right, cool. I think my favorite condiment recently is, um, <sighs> you know what, I haven't had it, re- I guess, recently. Um, I had a really good ketchup. Really? Really good ketchup from New Jersey. Obviously, famous for their ketchups. Uh, yeah, tomatoes, well, Jersey tomatoes. It was called First Field. Okay. Uh, and it's just really oniony. It's just, I don't know, it was so much better than, like, regular ketchup. Yeah. Not as um, sugary, probably. Maybe is that it? Or, or <laughs> well, maybe I it's more sugary? Like Heinz, right? They probably load that I shit. I think it's with. just more spiced and just less, uh, yeah, okay. less industrial. But um, that was really refreshing. Otherwise, I think a lot of my favorite condiments would probably be Japanese. That's fair. But I'm not really sure. Like, condiment is slipperier there because, you know, the food, like, would, something we would consider a, a sauce, they would consider a condiment. But, yeah, I'm going to oh. say first field ketchup. Okay, cool. And it's not product placement, so. <laughs> Very cool. Go at it. Um, Jed, where can people find you online, on the internet, whatever, if they wanted to give you a digital high five or Yeah, whatever. I'm on Twitter at Jed Schmidt, one word. Uh, also, if you just want to chill out uh, with everyone from the Borough.js community and just talk about JavaScript, uh, we have a Slack. Oh, really? We do. And, like, it's just a back channel for everyone who writes JavaScript in New York. It's amazing. Um, and that's openly available? Yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Uh, so you would go to slack.borojs.com. It's borojs, is B-O-R-O-J-S.com. Um, and so we just have the Slack group. Um, and that's super chill. So, like, you know, we have channels for general and channels for each borough and then channels for announcements or jobs or speakers. Like, if, for example, oh, wow. if you're, if you're looking to... Yeah, yeah. If you're looking to, like, do more speaking and you want to know about, like, what are the requests for speakers that are out and, like, what are people applying to and what tips do people have? And, mm-hmm. you know, I got this thing from this conference and it seems kind of sketchy. What do you guys think? And, like, there's a, we have a channel for that called Speakers in Borough.js. So it's a really good community for for local and then not even local folks anymore because now there's the Borough.js community is kind of extended out to California now. Um, there's a meetup called Waffle JS, which is now in our community. Oh yeah. Uh, there's one. Yeah, exactly. So there's just a bunch of them. There's actually three now. I think, uh, there's, you know, there's one in the, in the peninsula that, uh, does one. There's actually in Portland is starting soon. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. And so we all hang out, you know, in our respective borough channels, uh, in the Slack thing. So if you guys want to chill out and, uh, just chat about JavaScript, um, as long as you're cool, uh, <laughs> yeah, you can just totally come join us there. Cool. Jed, thanks for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah.